What do a video game designer and a researcher at TGen have in common? Perhaps quite a lot, especially if the programmer has an interest in science. I'm Carrie Dozer, and this is TGen Talks. As researchers and physicians study how to reduce the risk of deadly disease, a great deal of attention is now being focused on the microorganisms that live in and on our bodies. Now more than ever, we are learning that a so-called healthy gut is important, not only for feeling good, but for fighting and treating diseases like cancer. Today on the podcast, we'll meet a TGen scientist whose research into the human microbiome actually began in a computer science lab. Dr. Greg Caparaso is a newly appointed bioinformatician at TGen North and his experience in the computer science world lends itself to managing and analyzing the vast amount of information researchers now have about the human microbiome. Dr. Caparaso, thanks for taking the time to talk. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about what you do here at TGen. Uh, I work on studying microbiomes, which are communities of microorganisms, and those can live either on the human body, in the human body, that would be the human microbiome. Um, and I also work on environmental microbiomes, so things we might find out in soil or in water. And my niche with all of this is the computational aspects of microbiome research. And so I work as a bioinformatician rather than um, sort of your typical thought of biological researchers working in a laboratory. Most of us are working at computers trying to make sense of all the data that's being generated in the laboratory and turn that into new information and new knowledge. I view myself as a scientist and my, the tools that I use to do my science are computers. Tell me the, the path that got you to this place, because that sounds like an awful lot of training. Um, how, mm -hmm. What did it take to get you to this place? So I've loved computers since I was a kid. I was um, lucky that um, back in the 80s when I was growing up, my parents um, had a home computer that they used for their work. Um, and I spent some time around then and in high school doing computer graphics. Um, and so again, like pretty early on yeah. um, for those kind of fields, um, but had a really awesome teacher in high school who um, had set up a computer graphics lab in like the early 1990s, which was really cutting edge for a high school at that time. Um, and I initially did an undergrad in computer science. Um, and went and worked in industry for a little while, and I was working for a company that was uh, building software for doing server and database monitoring. And it was interesting, gained a lot of um, good skills, but I didn't find it very fulfilling, and I was sort of interested in applying um, computing in science. Um, and wasn't really sure where to go with that. I started taking some classes at night at CU Boulder, um, started taking some biology classes, um, thinking maybe I wanted to go into medicine, and so I started taking like the pre-med classes, um, but then got interested in the research side of all of it and realized how critical computing was to making advances in biology um, because biology was increasingly becoming a data-intensive science. This was around the time the human genome was first sequenced when I was first getting into this. And so it was clear that we were going to need some new tools to analyze all of the data that was being generated. Um, and so I ended up taking a few more classes and getting a second undergraduate degree in biochemistry at the University of Colorado. And so um, ended up doing a 
PhD in biochemistry, but really the work that I was doing was very bioinformatics focused at that time. Um, and so the, my PhD work really was bioinformatics. Um, and then ended up um, moving back up to Boulder to do a postdoc in a microbiome and bioinformatics lab at CU Boulder. And that was when I sort of got into microbiome research. The lab that I worked in had done some early methods development uh, to facilitate their own microbiome research. And uh, they were interested in starting to move um, the tools that they had been developing into a form that could be accessible to other researchers around the world. Um, and so that was kind of where I fit in. I had a background in computer science and software engineering, and so got involved there um, as part of a team that was working to make those computational methods for microbiome research more generally accessible. So why microbiome? Why that particular field? Well, yeah, I sort of initially fell into it um, through the bioinformatics side and because this was a microbiome lab that needed um, some bioinformatics expertise. Um, but I think it's just an absolutely fascinating area. Um, and so um, we now know, um, for example, that there's as many bacterial cells in and on the human body as there are human cells. Um, and so this, you know, effectively equates to us almost having a whole organ that, uh, that we didn't even know about. And one thing that I find really exciting and really promising about the microbiome is that we're now starting to understand the many ways that our gut microbiome in particular impacts our health. Um, but unlike your genetics, which you don't really have the ability to change in any meaningful way um, throughout your life, you can make changes on a daily basis that can impact the microbiome and your microbiome composition. Um, and so uh, I think provides some, will ultimately provide some very actionable pathways to improved health. So I want to get to the to gut health and, and what it means for our overall health and our ability to fight disease. But when let's get back to bioinformatics for a minute. Tell me what it really means and why it is so beneficial for researchers like yourself. Um, so I um, I tend to define bioinformatics as the application of the tools of computer science. So things like programming languages, databases, uh, parallel computation, machine learning to address biological questions. So things like understanding the evolutionary relationship between a group of organisms, um, or say for example, to go back to the microbiome, understanding um, if or how, um, say, a certain treatment or a certain diet change impacts the community of microorganisms that are living in your gut. Um, and it's absolutely critical to biological research now in large part because the uh, tools that biologists are using, so for example, a DNA sequencing instrument, um, generates enormous quantities of data. And so better computational tools are essential for turning that data into new information and new knowledge. In addition to your work here at TGen, you spend a lot of time at Northern Arizona University, and you lean on your computer science background in your work there. You've been instrumental in developing something called CHIME, CHIME 2 to be exact. What is CHIME? What does it stand for? And what do you use it for? I mentioned earlier that I uh, was doing a postdoc in Boulder working on making some microbiome uh, uh, 
uh, software more accessible. Um, and that ultimately became what we called Chime One, or really at the time we just called it Chime. Um, and so I worked on that um, for um, about a year while I was at CU Boulder. And then I brought that project with me um, to uh, Northern Arizona University when I took a faculty position around 2011. Um, and at that point, um, the project sort of became a collaboration between um, my new lab at NAU and then um, the group that I had been working with at University of Colorado at Boulder. Um, we continued developing um, Chime One for a few years after that. Um, and during that time, it was becoming increasingly popular in the field. So microbiome research was really starting to take off. The technologies that were being used to generate the data were changing uh, such that the data was becoming much cheaper, and which in turn meant that we were getting a lot more of it. And so we um, began teaching a lot of CHIME workshops. Um, we were teaching them around the world um, to grad students, postdocs, faculty members, physician scientists, um, really uh, many different people were interested. And those folks were working on either the human microbiome, environmental microbiology, food microbiology, really fields we had never really um, thought about when we started developing it. And then interacting with thousands of users through those events. So we did a lot of in-person teaching events. And then through an online forum, we began to get ideas about things that we needed to do with the platform to make it more accessible, to make the underlying bioinformatics more reproducible, um, and to just generally enable sort of the next stage of advances in the field. And when we started putting all these different things together that we needed to do with it, we realized it just wasn't possible with the way that we had architected the original system. And so around 2015, we started um, prototyping um, some new tools and ultimately ended up um, basically scrapping the entire Chime 1 code base um, and rebuilding from scratch. And that's what became Chime 2. You talk about the human microbiome and the environmental microbiome. Are those the same to the non-scientific person? Are we talking about the same thing or are we talking about vastly different organisms? Um, there's some overlap and there's some organisms that are vastly different and it um, really depends a lot on what type of environment you're looking at. The human microbiome and an environmental microbiome, they are distinctly different things, but they're closely related. The microbes that we encounter in the environment impact the composition of the human microbiome. Um, and we, I think we may find in the future that the composition of the human microbiome or other animal microbiomes are impacting the composition of, say, soil microbiomes. Let's get back to the gut health question because it's sort of become a, a buzzword. How much do we know about gut health? You touched on the fact that we're really just beginning to understand how gut health really affects our overall health and our ability to fight disease. What do we know and how much is there left to learn? Um, we are just scratching the surface. Um, that's how I would think about it. We've had the technologies that we need to study microorganisms in, uh, in great detail only for about 25 years. They're the same technologies that were used to sequence the human genome initially. And so in that time, we have done a lot of work um, 
initially first just describing microbiomes, understanding, for example, how diverse the human gut microbiome actually is. Um, and now we're starting to um, get to a point where we're understanding how microbiomes change over time, what factors might impact how a microbiome is going to change over time. And even in some cases, we're starting to think about and we're starting to learn about how to directly impact human health by altering microbiomes. Is that something that, when you talk about this being relatively new in the last 25 years or so, is that something that most you know, doctor-patient level conversations, are those kind of conversations being affected by this information that you're gathering and this data and this new knowledge? Or do we still have a long way to go in terms of translating this data and this information to a patient at the bedside? I think to some extent, it's starting to impact those conversations. Um, mostly, I would say, you know, more in the case of um, specific disease states um, and less in the context of just sort of regular checkups with a physician at this point. But for example, it is already having a massive impact on how we treat uh, Clostridium difficile infections. For example, uh, uh, just in December of 2022, there were um, two FDA-approved treatments for Clostridium difficile infections that are directly targeted at altering the recipient's gut microbiome, um, and those are both fecal microbiota transplant protocols. It has uh, very high success rates for uh, treating recurrent Clostridium difficile infections. There are a few clinical trials that are currently in progress right now um, that are focused around cancer treatment protocols and integrating fecal microbiota transplant. What could that possibly have to do with someone who's been diagnosed with cancer? Um, that's a great question. Probably the highest profile work that's being done in this area right now is using fecal microbiota transplant as part of a cancer treatment protocol. And so, uh, for example, you may have heard of uh, immunotherapy for uh, treating cancer. There's been some work recently that has shown that the composition of the gut microbiome impacts how effective immunotherapy is at reducing tumor size. Um, and this makes sense because there's constant interaction between the gut microbes and the immune system. Um, and so what some research teams are now looking at is trying to transplant fecal microbes from individuals who have responded to immunotherapy into patients who have not yet responded to immunotherapy. You mentioned the healthy human microbiome, and that's really a, a very interesting topic right now because what we're really beginning to understand is there's, not, there's no such thing as the healthy human gut microbiome. It's a huge spectrum of healthy microbiome states. Um, and so trying to understand what's common across those states, so what are common characteristics of a health-associated microbiome, is a very active area of research. Different ethnic groups or different cultural groups may have differences in what a healthy gut microbiome looks like, um, potentially related to the types of food that they're eating. Uh, and so it's really important that we think about um, diversity when we are um, collecting human microbiome samples and trying to understand what a healthy human microbiome looks like. What's an example of an area of research that you're doing right now into a particular type of cancer? 
Um, so one project that I'm working on right now is in collaboration with Melissa Herbst Kralovitz and her team at the University of Arizona Cancer Center. And this is a cervical cancer project where they are looking at the human gut microbiome, the human vaginal microbiome, and the endometrial microbiome, which to this point has not been studied uh, nearly at all. Um, we don't really know very much. We don't have very much reliable information at all about the endometrial microbiome. Um, but it seems like some combination of these is impacting the development of cervical cancer. And so what we're working on in that project is trying to understand the microbiomes at these three different sites in women who uh, either have cervical cancer or have other benign gynecological conditions that brought them to the hospital to enroll in this study. And one of the things that I think is really promising there is it enables us to search for earlier markers. And so if we can understand where and how um, these microbes may be interacting to impact the development of cervical cancer, that may give us an idea of how we can identify that earlier. So is the end goal then the development of an early detection test for cervical cancer? Absolutely. And ideally, like I mentioned earlier, since the microbiome can be modified over time, ideally it's providing actionable information as well. And so um, we're probably not quite there yet, but maybe there are certain diet changes that you could make to set you up for um, healthier microbiome states. That's fantastic. What have I missed? Is there something about you or your research that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that people know? I guess, yeah, one thing that I would throw out there, um, you know, if there's any younger folks listening who are thinking about who are interested in biological research and trying to think about where they want to go and what their niche is, um, there's a lot of opportunity right now for folks who are interested in biology, but understand how to work with computers. And so, for example, understand how to program or understand how to generate visualizations in ways that can help people interpret data. Um, so tons of opportunity, tons of really uh, great paying jobs in this area right now. And so I would highly recommend uh, keeping an eye out for opportunities to apply programming in biological research. Probably not the typical path. When most people think about majoring in a computer science in college, this is not where they think they're going to wind up. Yeah, most, most of the folks that I've interacted with who come into the computer science program at NAU, for example, um, are interested in doing things like um, video game programming, for example. Does a good video game programmer make a good bioinformatician? Most likely, yeah. you know, there's um, the skills th in terms of programming and software engineering are very similar. For example, most of the folks who are working on my team um, as in staff positions, most of them come from backgrounds in computing, not from backgrounds in biology. And so by working with scientists, they can sort of pick up what they need in order to um, help with making advances in biology. Dr. Greg Caparaso, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. For more on TGen's research, go to tgen.org news. The Translational Genomics Research Institute, part of City of Hope, is an Arizona-based nonprofit medical research institution dedicated to conducting groundbreaking research with life-changing results. You can find more of these podcasts at tgen.org slash tgentalks 
Apple and Spotify, and most podcast platforms. For TGen Talks, I'm Carrie Dozer.